Lord Jesus, we in this moment, once again, turn our attention to you. As the old song says, we've turned our eyes upon you, Lord Jesus. And we look full into your wonderful face. The things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. And as we look into your written word that you have inspired through your Holy Spirit to be written down for our benefit, as you've told us, I pray that it not just be an empty session and not just be a, a, a time of academia, but that we would experience you this morning through your word. We would hear your voice. We would see what we might not have seen before. And that we would see what would apply to us in our lives. And may the word of God that is a living and effective and sharper than any two-edged sword come alive today to us. I pray in the name of Jesus, everyone said, Amen. Amen. Once again, we're going to go to Psalm 78. If you want to turn there, um, we are still in the midst of this psalm and in uh, finishing up the uh, the Psalms, or our summer series that we've done, this is either the third or the fourth summer, I've lost track, that we have went through some of the Psalms through the summertime. And I don't know, I don't know what's so special about doing Psalms in the summer, but I've noticed, great minds think alike, other pastors have done the same thing. They've done summer series in Psalms. Um, we will conclude this summer series in this psalm, but I think we still have today and maybe two more uh, before we finish up this psalm, which is 72 verses long. Uh, today, we're obviously not going to cover all of them. I've entitled today, uh, and we'll get to that title in a little while, Can God? By the way, uh, Clancy, congratulations for putting up for him for 50 years. I don't know how anybody could be married 50 years. Well, uh, can God, can God make your marriage last 50 years? Absolutely. So uh, last week, of course, uh, two weeks ago, we, we addressed the idea that this psalm is, is written so that the next generation, the coming generation, does not make the same mistakes the prior generation makes. It's not, it's not written so that we can look down upon these folks, the Israelites, and say, boy, you bunch of dummies. And in some ways they were. In many ways we are. But it's written so that we could learn. Matter of fact, the New Testament teaches that. The, the, the scripture were written down as an example for us so we could learn. Last week, and I, again, I can't go back and redo it, but the last week's message is available on an audio Format It's available on two video formats. Uh, if neither one of them suits you, we can go back to the uh, caveman days and make you a CD. What's a CD? Anyway. I was, as a side note, it's totally unspiritual. But I was listening to the radio the other day and John Anderson came on. Just a swangin'. And I, I told my wife, I said, I've got that on vinyl for when it first came out. 
And I said, you know, the reason I had it on vinyl, because there was no such thing as a compact disc when that record came out. Now, I made some of you feel old. <laughs> what we learned from last week, I hope, is and I'm just going to run through this. And we learned it from what they did wrong. We learned that we have, you and I, have the wherewithal to confront the enemy and the circumstances of life. We have, as Peter said, we have everything. Everybody say everything. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. We have no excuses. And when we're faced with life and we're faced with circumstances, we're faced with the enemy, we have, God has provided us, as, as Sean said, he's done all he's going to do. He's provided us what we need. Another thing we learned was that we, as God's people, need to keep God's covenant. And the way we keep his covenant is by obeying his commands. He said they, they didn't keep his covenant by refusing to keep the law. So you and I, we need to make a determination that to the best of our ability, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we're going to obey God's commands to us and so keep the covenant that we have made and he has made with us. We need to remember all his works, all his wonders and his works toward us. We don't need to forget what he has done in our lives to us, through us, because it's easy. You know it's easy to get in a bad place and you forget everything that God has ever done. We need to remember that we've been delivered from the grip of the enemy by the miracle working hand of God. In their case, they were delivered from Egypt through the Red Sea. We talked about that last week. In our case, we've been delivered from a spiritual Egypt. We've been delivered from the bonds of the enemy, from the bondage of sin. And that was done by a miracle. We've said many times that you can't think your way into the kingdom. You can't decide your way into the kingdom. You come to the kingdom because, first of all, God is always the initiator. God always initiates. And when he initiates, he sends his Holy Spirit to give us the ability to move. And when he did that, something happened in us that was supernatural. A supernatural experience took place. We might not have felt goosebumps and all that, but something took place. As a matter of fact, I'm going to read a verse after a while that sort of describes that. We remember that God provides sustenance for us from unexpected sources. I guarantee you when they started that journey, nobody said, including Moses, uh, if we get low on water, we'll just get some out of a rock. <laughs> nobody. And when God has provided for you, you, when you began your journey, you never would have said God's going to provide from there or from them. Do you understand God sometimes uses people you don't like? Yeah. Hmm. Another thing we learned last week is that he still leads us day and night. He led them by a cloud by day, a fire by night, but the key is he led them day and night. He still leads you day and night. If you'll let him, we get, we get astray, we get off track. I say, what happened, God? We're, you know, it's like the bumper sticker I saw, I mean, 50 years ago, almost 50 years ago. I said, if you, 
If you don't feel close to God, guess who moved? And lastly, we, we learned last week that even after all that, they still challenged God, and so do we. We don't want to admit it, and sometimes we don't see it, but we still, you and me, we still today, if we're not careful, we will challenge God. Which brings us to verse 17 of chapter 78. And uh, I'm going to read through verse 31. If you can and you would, I would ask you to stand while we read the scripture. I'm again reading from the new, I mean, I'm sorry, the ESV. And it reads, yet they still sinned more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? Can God, there's our title. He struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down on them manna to eat, and he gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate of the bread of the angels. He sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power, his power, he let out the south wind. He rained meat on them like dust, winged birds like the sand of the seas. He let them fall in the midst of their camp all around their dwellings, and they ate and were filled, And for he gave them what they craved. But before they had satisfied their craving, while the food was still in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them, and he killed the strongest of them and laid low the young men of Israel. You can be seated. Once again, we are not taking on this study so that we can look down upon the Israelites and be critical of them. But so that we, as I said last Sunday, the fact is, you and I are the coming generation. When Psalm 78 was written, one of the people groups that was intended for that psalm are the folks sitting in this room and other folks sitting in rooms like this around the country today, around the world. We are the coming generation. We're the ones that need to see what's going on in this psalm and say, how, how can that affect us? It says... They continued to sin even more, and they rebelled. And watch this. I love the phrasing here. They rebelled against the Most High. Those two words ought not even go together. Rebellion against the Most High. But yet it does, because why? We're human beings. We're human beings, and sometimes we can't see beyond what's right in front of us. They rebelled. It's a word that just means to be contentious. And openly defiant, defy God, openly defiant. The the word there, and I don't like to do this a lot, but it's the word mara in the Hebrew, M-A-R-A-H. And it's a word that means to be bitter. It's the same, very almost the same word that appears in Exodus when the waters were bitter and, and God had them throw a tree in the water and it got sweet. And when I read that, I thought, 
two things. First of all, for us to rebel against God, there's got to be a certain amount of bitter bitterness in our lives. Paul, or not Paul, but whoever wrote the book of Hebrews wrote, don't allow a root of bitterness in your life. The other thing I thought was, if we insist on rebelling against the Most High God, he's still Most High, by the way. He didn't, he didn't check out after this psalm was written. Then we're going to, we're allowing some bitterness to creep in. We're allowing that, that opening in our life to make it bitter. It says they rebelled in the desert or they rebelled in the wilderness, which is an interesting thing. A pastor in New Orleans for many years ago, uh, said one time, Brother Charles Green, some of you might remember Brother Charles Green, uh, he said, don't make a temporary mistake in a permanent, or don't make a permanent mistake in a temporary desert. Don't make a permanent mistake in a temporary desert. Don't make a mistake in the desert that's going to cost you the rest of your life. The desert, the wilderness is only temporary. But they rebelled against him in the desert, in the wilderness, in the very place where they needed God to show up the most. I mean, here you are in the wilderness, no streams of water, no no food, nothing. And in the middle of that, you want to rebel against the only one who can provide for you. See, we're short-sighted. They forgot that their desires were met by a miraculous supply of water. Not only did they rebel against God, it says they tested God in their hearts. They tested God. It's a word that means to test one's limits. Now, anybody who has had children, and no, my wife and I are not having any more children. She's glad to hear that. But if you've had children, you know what it's like. For children to test your limits. It's an attempt to prove the existence of a particular quality in someone or something. It's an attempt to find out what's really there. And that's what kids do. They push and they're pushing. And we think, here's what I'm afraid has happened in modern day parenting, is when the child pushes and tests us, we think if we love them, we give in. And give them what they want. And really what happens is if you will hold your, hold your ground, you will now create one of the most secure children that's ever lived. It's not a child raising sermon this morning, but somebody need to hear that. This testing that they did in their hearts toward God was a, the testing the quality of someone or, or something. And doing that through stress, again, back to children. (laughs) Anyone who's raised children understands what the stress of raising little ones who become big ones are. And they're always going to test what you're made of. And these people, the, the Israelites, did this in the wilderness. So they tested him in their heart. And the way they tested him in their heart was by grumbling and complaining. Paul wrote to the church of Philippi, do all things without grumbling and complaining. 
When Jason and Adam were young, we had that cross-stitched on their bedroom wall. It didn't do any good. But they saw it every day. They were grumbling and complaining against God like God could not hear their mumbling. We were watching a TV show the other night and, and you know, at our age, we use caps, the captions. I know y'all don't, but especially if it's, if it's a British TV show, I don't know what they're saying, but this was not British. This was anyway. And the caps, I mean, the, uh, the captions are in all caps, like on the internet or on email. If you put all caps, some people don't have Evidently don't realize this, but if you put all caps in social media, that means you're yelling. People get yelled at a lot of times. So it was all caps. And I told her, I said, did you notice that? One of them started not whispering, but speaking to the one next to him in a much lower voice. Just, you know, like. And the caption went to, went, uh, lowered the font and wasn't all caps anymore. It was just a little bitty letters. And we think when we do that, God doesn't hear us. We think God can only read all caps. They grumbled and they complained in their heart. Now, Jeremiah wrote that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Well, we'll dismiss on that note. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't get any better in red letters in Matthew 15. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Now, Jesus would never say that, would he? They didn't waste the red ink. Out of the heart. Their heart was the source of evil. And when we do evil, the source of that evil is our own hearts. That's why the Bible teaches us from various ways and angles, guard your heart. Ezekiel gives us the the promise here, the positive, and I referred to supernatural earlier. It says, I will give you, Ezekiel 36 if you're taking notes, he said, I will give you a new heart. Everybody say new. new. And a new spirit I will put within you. A new heart and a new spirit. So this heart that's desperately wicked, God says, I recognize that, and I'm going to give you another. That's southern for another one. I'm going to give you another heart, a new heart, a new spirit that you can't conjure up, you can't create, you can't study your way into a new heart. And I like to study the heart. Guard your heart, saints. They were, they tested God and they were demanding. Now, I know we think, man, we, we, we think, how in the world could you ever demand God do anything? But if we're honest, if we're honest, there are times, hopefully not a lot, but there are times when we find ourselves sort of demanding God. You said you'd do this. It says, the verse is interesting in in the ESV. 
if I can ever find it. He says they tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. The food they craved. They had a craving. In the Cajun world, that'd be called an omvi. They had a desire, and all they wanted God to do was do what they wanted. They tested God. They were not content with what God gave them. They were not content. I love it when Paul writes in Philippians, I've learned to be content in doing without. I've learned to be content with surplus, with being wealthy. And everywhere in between, in other words, his contentment had nothing to do with what he had or didn't have. And they were not content with what God had done for them and given them. They were asking God for what would be agreeable to them. They were complaining and grumbling. And they they were trying to dictate the agenda. And they were trying to dictate God. So it goes on to say they spoke against God. So they spoke against God. Can God, they said. They spoke against God saying, can God spread a table? Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? We're out here in the desert. Can God provide something here for us? Can God? What a question. Because you've asked the same question. I'm in a predicament. I'm in a situation, as Phil talked about, I've got a family member who I don't think ever is going to come back to God. Can God do anything about this? We we ask the same thing. We're no different. I just want to let you know a secret that these people were reading about here in Psalm 78, they were human beings. And you and me, we are one. We're human beings. Can God... They spoke against God by questioning not only his ability, but I think more importantly, his commitment to provide and care for them. They were questioning whether he really wanted to. The disciples, when Jesus was asleep and they woke him up during the storm, you know what they said to him? Don't you even care? It's exactly what they said. Don't you even care about us? You see, we assume because the circumstances aren't the way we think they should be. Because the deliverance isn't taking place now, we assume that God doesn't care about us. I've even heard people say things like, well, I know he's busy with so-and-so over there. He ain't got time for me. Well, you got the wrong God. And they said, I don't think he cares. So they began to try to manipulate him into providing and giving them what they wanted, giving him what they would agree to, instead of, God, what would you like me to have? What would you want me to have? What would you want to provide in this situation? Isaiah writes in chapter 49, Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. An earthenware vessel or a clay vessel among the vessels of earth. Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? (laughs) I mean, that's so funny, but it's so real. 
or the thing you are making say, he has no hands. You're going to say that to the, to the one making you? Paul, when he was referring to this in Romans 9.20, said it this way, Who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, Why did you make me this like this? Why did you make me this way? What, what do, you, do, do you even have a clue what you're doing, God? Now, again, we don't, we'll never say those words. But in our actions, in our heart, that's what we're saying to God. Do you really have a clue? Because we see how we want it to be. They saw how they wanted it to be. Can't you, can't you provide something for us? They said he provided out of the rock. He provided water to come out of the rock. And you and I, if, if we had a rock sitting here today and, and one of us struck it and water started to come out, we would be dancing a jig and we'd be, people would be flocking into this place to see the water coming out of the rock. And what did they say? He provided water to come out of the rock, but can he, can he bring us some bread and meat too? Yeah, I mean, yeah, anybody make water come out of a rock. But can he bring us some bread and some meat? To them, or the way they were acting to provide food, seemed beyond God's power or or willingness. And then when the Lord heard this, most good interpretation, most good uh, translations will tell you he was furious. He was furious. Now, we need to talk about that just a minute. Man's anger and God's anger. Man's anger, your anger, my anger, I break things. Anyway, man's anger is destructive. Man's anger is unrighteous and unmeasured. When the nostrils begin to flare, you have no bounds. God's anger is righteous. It's always perfectly informed. It's always just. God's anger is always incited by sin. Now, you can get into all the ins and outs of that, and you can say that the reason God's angry is because we have now brought on destruction on our own lives, and that would, you know, as a parent, when you see your child doing something that you know is destructive and you, they won't listen to you, it'll make you angry. It'll make you sad, but also make you angry. God is not insecure. He was not angry because they didn't listen to him because he needed to be listened to. He didn't need his ego pumped up. He wasn't running for the president of the United States. Anyway, I'll leave that alone. He didn't need all that. He needed, well, all he needed was for his people to listen to what he said and do what he said because he knew they would live. It says they did not believe in God. Now they just experienced, they had experienced some other things and, and God's got the water coming out of the rock, but they did not believe in God. Well, you know, if we're going, if you're going to be any kind of a God, we need more than that. 
Here's a, there's an interesting play on words at the last verse of John 3. We all know John 3.16. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Watch this. Play on words. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Whoever believes in the Son, whoever does not obey the Son. Why is there a play on words there? Because they're interchangeable. You see, if you believe God, you will obey God. If you don't obey God or you won't obey God, you don't believe God. You don't believe in God. You don't really have faith in God because obedience is hearing God, having placed ourselves under God. So God's anger is productive. Ours is not. But God wants us to understand that if we believe in him, he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you don't keep my commandments, I've got to assume you don't love me. Scripture says they did not trust his saving power. Now this is, they're celebrating, they've already celebrated coming through the Red Sea. They've celebrated escaping Pharaoh and his armies. They celebrate all this, and yet they did not trust God's saving power. God was furious. Verse 23 says, yet he commanded the skies above. He commanded, he opened the doors of heaven. And this, the, this passage right here, these few verses, actually take place in two, two places. Exodus 11, I think, and I think uh, Numbers, no, Exodus 20. Is that for me? I'll get back to him. Don't you love it when your phone does that in the middle of church? What gets me is I'm in. A, we're in a we were in a show the other night. Not going to say where the Ryman Auditorium, but uh, somebody behind us, their phone started ringing, and it rung, and it rung, and it. I told her, I said, you would think they'd know how to stop that from ringing. And by the way, if you have an iPhone, let me teach you. There's this little button right here on the side. If your phone starts ringing in a concert, just hit that button. That's all you got to do. But that thing rang until it went to voicemail. And I left them a message. It takes place. In other words, my point is what he, what the psalmist writes here takes place over on two different occasions and, but he condenses it. But one thing he does shows us that God opened the doors of heaven and he rained down manna on them. And they walked out to see this bread who had, that had fallen from heaven and they said, what is it? The Hebrew word for manna is a word. It's actually M-A-N-H-U. It's very similar to man. What is it? Man who? Manna. What is it? They'd never seen that before. And God's, God's almost like, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to send you some bread from heaven. 
Hey guys, open the door, get the shovel and shovel out of the bakery and let it fall to the earth. What is it? I don't know what that is. And by the way, you can collect it for six days, but if you go out there on the seventh day to pick up some manna, it's going to be rotten. It's going to be spoiled. Because I told you to keep the Sabbath, didn't I? And you out there trying to pick up food. Why were they trying to pick up food on the seventh day? They didn't trust God. God said, I'll provide. The Hebrew were there says it was the bread of the mighty ones. And just about every commentator will tell you that's obviously what it says here in the ESV. Man ate the bread of the angels. I'm sure you like to eat angel food cake. <laughs> My wife used to laugh because her daddy wouldn't let her buy devil's food cake. <laughs> angel food. That's what they got. They got, they got ain't the bread of heaven. It's almost like God saying, so you don't believe me, huh? You don't think I can provide, huh? You don't think I, okay, here we go. Bread from heaven, the food that the angels would eat if they eat, here it comes laying on the ground. Yeah, but anybody can get, send bread. We need some meat. Now, I understand that. I, I, a meal without meat, you know, is like, you know, anyway, I'm going to. They wanted some meat. And God said, I, I'm going to send you, you know, this is, you have to read it. God says, here's what I'm going to do then. Okay, you want some meat? I'm going to send you some meat. He said at one point in Numbers, he said, I'm going to send you enough meat that you're going to have, and it was quail. I'm going to send you enough meat that you're going to have quail, literally, that's what the Bible says, coming out your nostrils. Coming out your nostrils. The Bible says that he, and of course it says right here, he calls the wind... To blow a certain way. Now, how many of you realize God could have just said, quail, go down there? But he chose to use the elements that he created to direct these quail to this camp. And I want to tell you that when the quail stopped landing, and I know that Peter's not going to like this, but God killed a lot of quail that day. When the quail stopped dying and landing in their camp, the quail was three feet deep. Imagine you walk out your front door tomorrow morning. You've been complaining because you didn't have any bread and you didn't have any meat. And you got the bread and you thought, well, that's not enough. And you walk out your door and there's three feet of dead bird in your front yard. They had it till it was coming out their nostrils. God said, okay, I'll send it to you. He caused the east wind. So rain the meat down. He let it fall. They ate and were filled. And he, this is a key phrase here, verse 29. He gave them what they craved. Beware when you have gotten to the place that God has to give you what you crave. God's judgment is often giving us what we desire. You want that? You really want that? Are you sure you want that? Okay. 
I'm going to let you have it, literally. And we realized that what we wanted was not the best thing for us, but had we listened to God, but he said, okay, I'm, you know, that's what you want. He gave them what they craved. The scripture says that while they still had that food in their mouths, while they were, their, their craving had not been satisfied, the anger of God rose against them. Okay. I know how to turn it off. That was my timer, by the way. So in closing. (laughs) The anger of God rose against them. And you'll just have to settle this with God. But it says he killed the strongest of them. And he laid low the young men of Israel. I know a lot of people want to clean up the Bible. And a lot of people have a problem with that, with the the verses like that. Uh, But you just, you know, you got a problem with God. What do I think happened? I think he eliminated the unbelief. I thought of Dathan and Abiram who spoke against Moses and spoke against God and Moses and Aaron. And God said, bring them, bring them and all their family here. Now you're just going to have to bring, bring Dathan, Abiram and all their families here. And so they brought them out into the camp because they had been questioning God. They'd been questioning Moses and Aaron, and they were defying God, and God said, bring them here. And the Bible says the earth opened up and swallowed all of them, families and all, kids. I'm not even going to try to explain that to you, except that I believe it's true. I believe God is wise. I believe God is all-knowing. And I believe God knows exactly what he's doing when I don't. So he killed them. He killed the strongest and he's killed the youngest. I believe he was eliminating the unbelief from their crowd. Now, I'm not saying to you or to me that if we don't believe God, the earth's going to open up and swallow us because it's a different dispensation. It's a different covenant. But I'm saying to you and I'm saying to me, we can learn the lessons from these people. That we can believe that what God provides for us is what God what we need. And that just because we crave something doesn't mean it's God's will. It doesn't mean it's good for us. And that what God is supplying for you today is good. No matter what it looks like. you got to trust. In God's saving power, you have to believe, not just believe in God, but you have to believe God. I do too. And we learn that lesson from the children of Israel. And as the coming generation, I choose to accept the lessons to the best of my ability through God's help. Would you stand with me?